morning, church. I know I say this often because I mean it. I love, 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 love being here Sunday mornings. I love being here with my Grace family. So thank you. You know, it's been a little bit over a month since we moved into this new building. And that's really good, exciting news, I believe. See, at this point, I thought somebody would applaud. But it's okay. It's, it's not a problem. It's all right. You're not as excited as I am. That's okay. We've got so much to celebrate. And I'm just going to recap some of the celebrations that have been going on. Just this year, 11 baptisms last Sunday. That's incredible. Yeah. Yesterday we had over, I think it was over 250 people participate in muffins with moms. Incredible. This is the most people we have in community groups ever. And that is super incredible. See, here at Grace Bible Church, celebrate. Here at Grace Bible Church, it's all about community coming together as this church. And if you haven't signed up yet for a community group, there's still a chance. But let also, let me also just remind us, we're a church family, right? And in a family, we are called to do certain things, to serve. So if you're not serving in any capacity, please step up a little bit. We encourage you to serve. We're growing as this church body. We need more ushers. We need people that have a smile. It doesn't have to be a pretty smile, just a smile. To greet people in the parking lot, you enjoy your coffee. It takes people, it takes serving to make these things happen. All right? Would you agree with me that there's certain events in human history in the past that affect our destiny? There's certain events that have happened that changed the way we live, that changed our destiny. Events such as 9-11. I remember it was one Tuesday morning. I was receiving a trailer from across the border. Back then, my brother and I used to have a transportation logistics company, warehouse distribution. And the driver coming from across told me, I, I got to hurry up. Please tell me where to park because the borders are closing. And I asked him, what do, what do you mean? What do you mean the borders are closing? I don't know. But everybody's panicking, so I got to rush back before I'm stuck here in the U.S. And so people started asking questions. And it was, it was kind of weird, if you remember, back then during that moment, it was quiet. I remember after a while, I was like, where is everybody? Why is everybody gone home? Why is it just like a ghost town? I called my wife, and she told me, look, I'm watching the news. Everybody has questions. No one has answers. All we know is that a plane crashed into one of the towers. But again... I believe at that moment, everybody, the whole world was, what's going on? And you know what happened? We started researching back and we realized that way, way back, these terrorist attacks had been planned out. And here we experienced an event that changed man's destiny forever. See, over 2,000 years ago, there was also an event in Jerusalem that changed man's destiny Forever. Over 2,000 years ago, thousands upon thousands of Jewish people were gathering to celebrate what was called the Passover, a celebration where everybody came into Jerusalem. But not only that, on that particular day, there was thousands of other non-Jews that were coming to Jerusalem as well. Why? Because they had heard of this great 
teacher, this great miracle worker, this great man who proclaimed to be the son of God. So they all gathered. And I think you've heard the story. As Jesus is walking into Jerusalem or riding on a donkey, everybody was shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They were so happy because now they felt that Jesus the Messiah was there to liberate them, to free them. But see, their expectations were different. They wanted to be liberated politically, not spiritually. So the same people that shouted, Hosanna in the highest, were later shouting, crucify him. Because Jesus didn't come to do what they expected Jesus to Three days later, he rose from the dead. And people were talking about this incident. People were asking questions, didn't know what was going on. So if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, bring your Bibles. That way you can underline, you can take notes, and you can read God's word for yourself. We do have the verses on the screen behind me, but there's something I believe when you read and directly from God's word yourself. And you get used to where the books of the Bible are. So bring your Bible to Grace Bible Church. Deal? All right. So turn with me to the gospel according to Luke, New Testament. Luke, we're going to look at chapter 24, verse 13 on this particular incident that I've been talking about. Luke, chapter 24, verse 13. And here's what we read from the author Luke himself. That very day, it says, verse 13, that resurrection Sunday, two of them, two of Jesus' disciples of his followers were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Hey, have you heard? Yeah, what's going on? I don't know. They had questions. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But look what it says. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus starts asking, what are you guys are talking about? What is the gospel? What's going on? And they said, you, you haven't heard? You don't know what's been going on? Jesus says, no, what's, what's going on? Verse 19, they respond, concerning, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now watch this, verse 21. But we had hoped, we all had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had some certain expectations and he didn't come through. We wanted to be liberated politically, but he did not. And not only that, we keep on reading and he says this, they say this. And today, we just heard that the tomb is empty. And we don't know what's going on. We are freaking out. We all have questions. That's what we're talking about. Verse 25, Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You should know your Old Testament. You've read Jeremiah, right? You've read Isaiah. You've read Micah. You should have known these things. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Read it. Why are you confused? Why are you asking questions? Verse 27. Jesus says this. 
And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all, all the scriptures, the things concerning who? Himself. Church, today we begin a new series that we've entitled Christ, Christ in the Old Testament. And our hope and our prayer throughout this series is that we truly understand who this book is about. See, it might come as a shock to many of you. This book is not about you. This book is not about me. This book is for you. And it's definitely for me. But this book, from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, is all about Jesus. See, I believe that many of us have a wrong idea of who Jesus is. Not only that, but what he came to do. For many of us, we believe Jesus is, is a bottle or a genie in a bottle. That we ask Jesus and he needs to do these things. For many of us, we are led to believe that Jesus came to give us our best life now. Shouldn't be any suffering, shouldn't be any sickness. And so we say to ourselves, the prosperity gospel, Jesus, you owe me. And here's the deal. That's not what Jesus came to do. One thing and one thing only. And we're going to see that throughout the scriptures. That the one thing that Jesus came to do is to redeem an unholy man. To a holy and perfect God. He is the one, the only one that narrowed and closed the gap between us. That's our prayer. Because what I don't want is that after going through this, Jesus telling me, telling you, like he did the disciples over 2,000 years ago. Oh, foolish ones. You should have known. That all the scriptures point to me. So if you're ready, turn back and let's begin in the beginning. The book of Genesis, which literally means origin or beginnings. Genesis. By the way, Moses wrote this book. He wrote the first five books known as the Pentateuch. Moses is the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit like the whole Bible is. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. But before, let me give you some context. To know where we're at. Chapter 1 and 2, it's all about creation. God spoke, bara in the Hebrew, spoke everything into creation. And we see this term in chapter 1. And it was good. And he created this. And it was good. And it was good. And then chapter 2, he created man. And he said it was very good. But then one day he notices that man is by himself. And he says, oh, it's not good for man to be by himself. And he creates woman. And they're in this garden paradise. Everything is perfect. And God tells them, look, you can have any fruit of any tree. And imagine there were thousands upon thousands of trees. He says, but don't have it of this particular tree. Just not that one. And everything, like I mentioned, was perfect. No guilt. No illness. No suffering. No sin. No death. But then we pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 1. And here's where we read. Now the serpent, it says, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
you have your Bibles with you, underline, circle those words, Lord God. In the original language, which is Hebrew, it would be pronounced Yahweh Elohim. Every time you see in your Bibles, Lord capitalized, it is Jehovah, the name of God, the God of Israel, the God of promise. And that's what it says here, Yahweh Elohim. Now, interestingly enough, Elohim is a plural pronoun. The word Elohim, it, 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 it signifies majestic, power, supremacy. It's a name for God. But many scholars believe, as I do, right here we see our triune God since the very beginning. Never do we see the word Trinity in the Bible. But there's so many things that point to the Trinity, such as it is here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this is why we read in verses like Genesis 1.26 in the very beginning. Then God said, let us, there it is. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 3.22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing God good and evil. We read in the New Testament that everything was created by Jesus Christ for him, through him. Jesus is there. Jesus has always been. Jesus will always be. Beginning to end, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Again, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Starts to put doubts in the woman's mind. Starts to twist God's word as he does today. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said that we shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Watch what the serpent says. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Don't trust God. Sound familiar? For God knows that when you eat of, of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who ate as well. Now I know a lot of you guys, some of you have come to me and said, there it is. It's the woman's fault. Right there. But let me say this. Adam, the husband, if he was supposed to be where he was supposed to be, if he was truly the spiritual leader of that household, he should have been there. And said, no, don't listen to the serpent. Let's obey God. Let's follow God. But no, like a lot of us men, we're out there, right, playing with monkeys and riding around on horses. But seriously, right here was an event that turned everything upside down. Why do I say that? first two chapters, we read of man following God, obeying God. Woman was following man. And no one, no one was following the serpent. No one was obeying the serpent. But right here, everything turned upside down. We see that woman is obeying and following the serpent. We see that man is obeying and following the woman. And no one, not one, is following and obeying 
It's the same thing today. Verse 7. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And just like that, church, just like that, sin entered into this world and changed everything. Paul writes about this incident in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all, all have sinned. The fall, the fall altered our destiny. Changed things forever. The fall affected all of creation. From that moment in, as sin entered into this world, death, suffering, destruction entered into this world. And since then, all of creation has been groaning, as Paul says, to come back to Christ. But one day we are told, because I've read the ending of this book, one day we are told that Jesus Christ is coming back as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And one day Jesus is going to throw Satan himself into the lake of fire where he's going to be tormented. Revelations 20.10, tormented forever and ever and ever. But till then, creation has been affected because of the fall. We then read that God asked Adam, asked Adam, not the woman, you for yourself. God asked Matt, Adam, why are you hiding? And Adam says, because I'm afraid. He didn't say, I feel bad, I'm repenting. No, no, tengo miedo. And then God says, who told you you were naked? If you have your Bibles with you, right on the margin put, first time ever. The blame game, the pointing of the fingers occurs right here. Verse 12, the man said, the woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, her fault. She told me to eat of the fruit of the tree. And like a good husband, I ate it. And watch what the woman says. The, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you have done? The woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. Nothing has changed, right? Passing the buck, not my fault, their fault, his fault, everybody's fault, but our own fault. First time in history. Now, as I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, wow, I can only imagine that moment. See, we're told that Adam lives to be about 930 years old. Men, imagine, since this day forward, Adam will continually hear from his wife, dude, I can't believe you threw me under the bus. For 930 years. What are you going to do, Adam? Blame me again. You did it before, right? Why not? Incredible. There's so much. There's so much that I can preach on these verses. We'd be here literally, I think, for years. But what I want us to do is to focus on these next two verses. Focus on what's coming up next. And I am going to describe these next two verses as such. The curse and the crushing blow. We're going to look now at the curse and the crushing blow. So let's begin with the curse. Verse 14. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, he said, because you have done this, there's this word, cursed. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. He says, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat 
all the days of your life. Now, don't miss this. One curse, because we're going to see two objects. God is going to curse the serpent and Satan. Look what he says. Cursed are you, talking to the serpent, the reptile, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Because you've been a vessel for the fall, because the enemy has used you, serpent, cursed are you above all wildlife and domestic animals. Curse on you. One curse, two objects. And because you have been cursed, here is your punishment. On your belly you shall go, and thus you shall eat all the days of your life. Let me pause here. Many scholars believe that prior to the fall, the serpent, the snake, was upright. Two legs, and pr obviously priorly had, was speaking. So I don't know. I don't know. But a lot of scholars believe this because, as we just read, it says, from here on out, in the future, you shall go on your belly and you will eat dust. Again, because you have done this, cursed are you above all creation of animals. On your belly you should go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I don't know, church. Bless God. I don't know, but prior to the fall, the serpent, the snake was like the gecko from Geico who was walking around and had a British accent, I don't know. I don't. But here's what I do know. That God is using the serpent from here on out to remind us of this tragic day. It is a symbolic representation of what the serpent did to cause us, mankind, to fall. It's like when we see the rainbow that God gave Noah a promise that every time we see the rainbow, we, God, will never flood the earth again. I believe in the same manner God is saying, you see the snake. And let it be a reminder of the fall. The day that altered man's destiny. One more thing. I know, I know this. One more thing. Dust is a symbol of humiliation. And God is saying, Satan, you eat my dust. So that's the curse. Two objects. Let me move on to the crushing blow. He addresses the serpent. God does. Now he's going to address Satan, Lucifer, the devil himself. Verse 15. I will put an enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring. I think it's better to say your seed. And her offspring, her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his seal. God is saying there's going to be a continual battle. Hostility between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. Why do I say it's better to be translated the seed? Because the word offspring is a collective singular in the, in, in the Hebrew. And it, this is what it denotes, a specific male descendant of the woman. This is why Paul writes in Galatians 3.16, 
Now the promises were made to Abraham and not to his offspring. It does not say to his offsprings, plural, meaning many, but referring to one and to your offspring, the seed who is who? Christ. Christ, the Messiah. See, that's why we see since the very beginning right here, Genesis 3, 15, that there is going to be a seed from the woman that would crush Satan's head. And since that time, Satan has been trying anything and everything to not let this occur. Why do I say that? Because it's all through the Bible. Just in the very next chapter, Adam and Eve have two boys, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel. And Satan says, yes, no more seed. But that doesn't happen because they have another child, Adam and Eve. And his name is Seth. And the seed continues. And then we read that mankind was just so sinful that God floods the earth. And Satan says, yes, no more seed. But no. Noah's sons went into the ark with their wives with him. And through one of his sons named Shem, the seed continues. And the seed continues through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But even then, even in these stories, pay close attention. Jacob has a brother named Esau. And Esau tries to kill Jacob. Why? Because the enemy is saying, yes, no more seed. But the seed continues through King David. But even in the story that we read in Saul... In Samuel, we read that Saul tries to kill King David because Satan knew that's where the seed came from. And Satan said, yes. But then, as we read in Galatians 4.4, Paul writes this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Fully God. Fully man. Emmanuel, as Isaiah 7 says, God with Born under the law, a Jewish man, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And Satan says, no, no. Church, we just read the gospel. As a matter of fact, this is referred as the first gospel. We just saw foreshadowing of what was to come in the crucifixion, the cross, the resurrection, our hope. Again, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, Jesus, shall bruise, I like the translation, crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. At the cross, we just, we witnessed that. As Jesus hung on the cross and took his last breath, the enemy said, just a bruise, just a bruise, because three days later, he rose from the dead, and the crushing, the crushing began, starting to crush the enemy's head. The battle is on, but the war, the war is won. And one day, one day, as Paul says, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet when he returns and throws him into the lake of fire. Like I mentioned earlier, done. No more seed. 
No more death. No more suffering. No more tearing. Church, the fall was the darkest day known to mankind. That moment, man's destiny changed forever. Sickness, suffering, death entered into this world. And here's my sermon point for today. Here's what I want you guys to remember. Because there's so much we could have preached on. But here's what I want to narrow down. The fall altered my destiny. But the resurrection gave me hope for eternity. Jesus Christ gave us. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ gives us hope in eternity.